Hey you. Whoa, didn't expect to see you here. Thanks so much for being curious enough to check us out. You're about to gift your ears the soothing, sensational and seductive sounds of the Story Network podcast. But before I jump into the emotive and inspirational introduction, I actually just want to take a moment and thank you for tuning in and then welcome you to the Story Network community. So thank you and welcome. Now, let's roll that intro. Hit it. This is the emotive and inspirational introduction to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins and it is my job to inspire connection, collaboration and creation through open and honest conversation. So let's put our lives aside for a moment, connect heart to heart, mind to mind, share with each other, learn from each other and inspire each other to be more, to feel more and experience more. 7.54 billion stories on one earth. We are the Story Network, and this is the Story Network Podcast. Woo! The Story Network. Let's do it! Hello, and welcome back to the Story Network Podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins, and in today's episode, I am walking back down the streets of Los Angeles to chat to my dear friend, Kyla Joy Fisher. Kyla and I went to college together. We both studied theater, and we have had many deep and meaningful conversations. And in this conversation, we're delving deep into her background in psychology and also into the idea of empathy and giving back, being of service to people and to communities. I got so much value out of this conversation. I hope you do too. And before we jump into it, what I want to do is just chuck in a really quick ask. If you're enjoying the podcast, if you're getting value from this podcast, it would mean the world to me if you could go onto iTunes, go onto Spotify and subscribe and leave a review and a five-star rating if if you feel like it deserves it. That just helps us get in the search engine and make sure that more people can hear our podcast. Anyway, without further ado, this is my conversation with Kyla Joy Fisher. Hey everyone, and welcome back to the Story Network podcast. My name is Zed Hopkins, and today I have my good friend Kyla with me. Kyla, how are you doing? I'm doing fantastic on this lovely day. How are you? I am great as well. It's good to connect. You're now based in LA. Is that correct? Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah. for the time being. <laughs> for the time being. Um, we, just as a bit of context, you're someone else who I met um, at the Claremont Colleges. That's how we first met. And we've both done a lot of theater work. You're also a theater major, very creative. Um, how, how did you come about becoming a theatre major and what has you know what is your story up until this point what are sort of the impactful moments in your life that have led you to where you are at right now mm -hmm. um so I live with my mom um and she is a theatre director for a middle school and is actually the school that I went to so um I've quite literally not lived a life without theatre involved in it in some facets um, and then I started acting in like fifth grade was like the first time you're allowed to. And then this is the first year in my entire life since then that I haven't been in at least one show a year or like a semester. Um, so it's always been like such a huge part of my life that I can't really separate it from like who I am or what I do just cause like that's it, it's always gonna be there. Um, but I came to college thinking I was just gonna be a psychology major um took a theater class for a GE requirement and I never left so um yeah I I just like fell in love with theater again but like on a collegiate level and I was just so blown away by the people that are involved in the department um that I couldn't help but not want to be like them and like a part of that so that's like my theater thing um to like what brought me here and like what my life is, who's to say? Um, uh, it's mostly just been like living in Southern California. Um, I've moved like around the county a lot of Los Angeles. So I've gotten to see like a lot of different facets of it, um, but I've only been in like three schools in my entire life. So like I was moving around geographically, but I still had something like 
very steady in my life. So I think that's, there's like a weird juxtaposition between the two. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't know what my life is. <laughs> but yeah, mostly just like theater and then finding other things that I'm passionate about and I love. Like psychology has always been there um, and just figuring out people um, because being in a single parent household, if she was at work, it was just like me. So how do I relate to other people? Who are the people that I relate to? Um, and like, how do I operate in the world if I'm not like surrounded by siblings or I'm not constantly at friends' houses and things like that? Um, when you're operating on your own so often, like how do you create that sense of belonging with other people? That's really interesting. I actually didn't, I didn't know that connection with psychology. Do, can, you trace, can you trace that back to maybe like a moment or a few moments earlier in your life where was there a moment where you kind of clicked and you were like oh how do I fit in with other people in, in this world and that's something I need to actually delve into like was there a moment for you where that occurred um I think oh I think it's very weird and it's not like a, a memory you'd think would spark it um but I had a preschool boyfriend um and he was like I really like you because your eyes are so dark and I was like, that makes no sense. I didn't know that like other people had thoughts. So like that spiraled the whole thing. Cause I only had like my mom and when I was in preschool she was still functioning as like my caregiver. So she wasn't necessarily like a full person to me yet. So this was like one of the first times I could remember where like someone could have a thought that doesn't align with what I'd already been thinking or what I was already aware of. Um, and so I remember just like staring in the mirror in my bathroom um, and just like thinking like he had this thought then and he has thoughts right now, but I'm not there to hear it. Um, and so that kind of like started the whole like awareness of other people being in the world and people continue living beyond when I'm there and like I hadn't discovered object permanence yet. So that was a big revelation uh, for like four year old me. Um, yeah, I think that's what started the, like, oh, like, life exists outside of whatever room I'm in. Um, so I think that's, like, where my interest in understanding other people began, because I realized that I didn't have anyone else to kind of bounce off, uh, off of, besides, like, my mom, and she was not in the same mental capacities as me at that point. So figuring that out on my own and then progressing to more complex ideas. Wow, that's that's such a profound, like philosophical realization for a four-year-old. Like, wow. <laughs> I was just so advanced. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's 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 a really interesting point though, because I feel like that everyone sort of has those moments in their life where they start to recognize, like, wait a second, I'm not the center of the universe. That there are billions of other people, you know, maybe not at that scale initially, but like there are all of these other people around me who exist in their own lives who are completely consumed by their own experience. And my experience is completely unique to me and is different from all of them. I'm in, in, in that sense, then are there, are there people in your life who you feel like have their perspective or their experiences and your relationship with them has had a really big impact on who you are now and, and, you know, who are the people in your life who have had the biggest impact on you? Mm-hmm. Um, so I'd say someone that like completely shifted a lot of what I thought was one of my high school best friends. Um, my entire life before high school, I only went to a Christian school. Um, so I was very much taught a specific way of life and I wasn't exposed to anyone else besides people who shared that aspect of their home life with me. Um, so going to a secular high school um, was like the first instance where I got to meet people. Um, and one of my friends, she is an atheist and she's gay. And that was like, she's like the first person that I was like, oh, we have like nothing in common. Um, and there was just so much that I was taught that she should have exemplified. And she was the complete opposite of that she's when I think of like who love is and what love is like she's that embodiment like she just exudes love with everything that she does and that's not what I was taught that an atheist and or a gay person could possess um and so she like completely flipped everything that I knew about the world um 
and she's so intelligent so she also like helped me like learn fundamentally what I didn't understand yet or what I was trying to like peel back from um so I'd say like she's like the first person that really like challenged me um I'd say who else um that's like mostly like my friends um um one of my other friends from college she is so in tune with what other people are feeling that she knows what I'm feeling before I do um and so sometimes I like push away like what I'm feeling I'm like oh I'll deal with that later or oh I don't feel like having sad feelings now so I'm gonna move on um and she'll just like say like how's your heart like whenever I'm not feeling well um and so she always knows when something is up um and so I've learned a lot from her just like how to read people and how to be there for people before they ask you um so she's always been a fundamental person in my life since I've met her um obviously my mom um she's like my world so she will always be the most impactful person and until like I have kids or whatever the most important person in my life um and then I'd say also my dad just being such a weird man and a man that like I don't know that well um but like seeing him now as an adult and realizing how much of myself is still attached to him um, and how many things are like intrinsically from him just through our DNA um, and seeing like how much of a person could just be passed through genes without having any like day-to-day -day interaction with that person. Um, so I'd say those are like, like my parents right now have been something that I've been like focusing on and how they've impacted me or haven't impacted me um throughout my life so far yeah wow this this so much there like in in even just like your self-awareness to sort of like assess those things and recognize the impact these people have 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 had on on, on your life and who you are it, it's it's interesting to jump back to that first sort of childhood best friend that you had the I think there's something really powerful about um getting to know people who are very different from you people mm -hmm. who experience the world in a very different way, who have very different belief systems and outlooks on the world. How do you think like maybe that relationship and that awareness of difference and using difference to sort of help you evolve has now shaped the way that you look at relationships and the world around you like now? Mm, yeah, um, I'd say like the biggest thing that I learned from us starting to understand each other was that it always came from a place of love and a place of respect. Um, and like, luckily I was never like a homophobic person, like genuinely, it was more so like, this is something I don't understand and something I've been told is bad, but like, I haven't seen it be bad. Um, so I was still able to come from a place that wasn't hateful, uh, which I'm very grateful for. And I think a lot of that is due to my mom as well. Um, but just like, approaching someone because she obviously didn't relate to me very much because I was a very Christian person coming in to our friendship um but we always we always cared about each other enough to not expect the other person to teach you everything um but still have enough care that like I'm willing to use some of my emotional energy to help you um because I know that you're doing that as well um and then I think that's mostly impacted me in making sure that the way that I perceive people, um, I let them let, I let them choose how I perceive them. And I don't come into meeting someone with any preconceived notions. Um, and I let their actions and their words speak for themselves before I speak for them. Um, so that's been very hard because whenever like something happens, you're like, oh, this was them being this kind of person. I like that or I don't like that. Um, and usually like have a wrong conception of what that person is. Um, so making sure that I let people speak for themselves um, and taking a step back um, as new people enter my sphere of awareness. Um, and yeah, trying not to judge a person before I get to know them. There's, you bring up so many good points in that. And, and the first one that I want to touch on is this idea of like approaching people in our life and people who we're just meeting from a place of love and not projecting onto other people 
um, our own perspective on the world because like the reality is, is that we're all different. We're all going mm -hmm. to see the world around us in a different way. But if, if, every, if, if two people are willing to come from a place of love and empathy and be like, I'm not gonna judge you right now, but I'm gonna have this conversation and let's like learn to know each other. Like let's learn to understand this relationship before we make adjudications or judgments on who each, each other is. Like, like that's, that's powerful. Um, and, and I think also like quite productive in a sense of, of having a conversation, you know, because I'm sure like, <laughs> like sometimes it's difficult when you come from a, a position, like using the example of you and your best friend, like when you come from a, a religious belief system that maybe in, in a sense, like has invalidated a, a particular individual. And then when you're actually to understand that there is a human behind that, like, and, and actually connect with that and go, oh, like that doesn't actually resonate with me. Like that's a part of a belief system that I actually can choose not to take on. And that mm -hmm. we as individuals and have agency in choosing what we want to identify with and how we want to see other people. And, and that I think ties into your second point is that when we meet people, we, we've developing a sense of, of self-awareness where we can recognize when we are projecting onto them or we are assuming a narrative about them. And, and especially in sort of friendships, like intimate relationships, stuff like that. Like, I think that's one thing, at least for me in my, my own journey of like has, have learned is that you've got to have open communication and honest communication and go, Hey, like, can we check in about this? Can tell me about yourself and not project on, Oh, I know that person is friends with this person that makes them believe the same things. Or mm -hmm. you, you sent me a text message that I interpreted as being a passive aggressive. And so now I've got, I've built a narrative that that whole day you were talking behind my back and doing this. When the reality <laughs> is you were just super busy and you just sent me a quick message to keep me up to date and you were gonna follow up in two days time. Like mm -hmm. our minds kind of just can sometimes jump in and intervene with our relationships and get in the way of us actually being able to connect. Is that something that you'd agree with or resonate with? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Like my mom was like the one who's like really taught me how to like not go through those like, oh, well, if this person did this, this obviously means all of these things. Because um, I was always very much like that kind of kid where like, ah, oh, someone said this on the playground and now I hate them because this is obviously what they meant. Um, and it's very frustrating as a child to like come to my mom and be like, oh, like this is happening. And then for her to like help me generate a narrative where that person isn't at fault. Um, and so that was always like, so like, just like, let me be angry for a minute. Um, but that has been so helpful as an adult, um, to look at, um, something that someone does and, uh, still like spin those narratives, but spin those narratives in support of that person. Um, and like, yeah, you could be wrong, but you're not like suffering until you know, or continually spiraling to figure out like, what's the worst possible outcome. Um, you're just thinking like, well, what's another realistic alternative that could take some power away from um, that worst narrative that you come up with? Um, because we often like speaking in psychological terms, um, we often attribute certain actions or an isolated action to be a dispositional um, attribute of that person. Whereas if you look at the actions of your own self, you think of those as situational, like, oh, I snapped at this person because I was late or because like I hadn't eaten that day. So I was really hungry and that's why I did that. Um, but if you look at that other person, like they went to go say hi to somebody and that person was mean to them. Of course they might think that that person is a mean person, even though it's most likely just how they were feeling in that moment. Um, so I think coupling like what I've learned in psychology and what my mom has taught me, like just helping me make sure that when I don't know what someone is thinking, I give them the benefit of the doubt until they give me reason to think otherwise. Um, so it's always like very difficult and I'm nowhere near a master in that. Um, but it's always something that I try to keep like in the back of my mind. Yeah, and that's like such a such an important thing I think to have in the back of your mind too. And, and also recognize that so much of, of the world that we experience is like a projection of our perspective. Like mm -hmm. our perspective shapes the projection into the world in which we make. And, and I think that's, I think it's an Einstein quote 
way back where he talks about like you, the, you can choose whether the universe is either hostile or friendly. That's obviously a paraphrase, but I think there's something <laughs> like quite powerful in that idea of like the, the world and like the situations you're in either happen for you or to you. And you can choose to, to see the situations you're in and, and reframe them in a way of like, okay, like, is this a, a chance for me to improve my self-awareness? to recognize the situation and go, oh, that person was mean to me, but I can, but maybe this is actually an opportunity for me to learn these lessons. Like this is a chance for me to go, oh, I'm not gonna jump to a conclusion that they're just a mean person, but mm -hmm. I'm actually gonna recognize, oh, but maybe they were running late. And I can choose to believe that whether that's right or wrong, like it, in a way it doesn't matter because it's the way you perceive that situation that matters to you and shapes the rest of your day because mm -hmm in a sense too, like there's those moments where you have like a bad interaction with someone or an awkward interaction or like what you label as bad or awkward or mean, but it might not necessarily be that, but you choosing to view it as that then shapes the rest of your day. You're like, oh, I had such a bad interaction this morning or I was so awkward ordering a coffee. Like that's something for me. For some reason I cannot order. <laughs> like whenever I, I overthink ordering at a coffee shop, I'm like, okay, uh, what am I going to get? And then I get up there and I'm like, I've got no idea what I'm ordering, but there's people behind me, what I'm going to do. And then I, I, I like order my coffee. And then I'm like, that was so awkward. Ah, uh, and then I kind of get like super self-conscious when in reality, the experience of the barista is probably just like me being like, ah, uh, hmm, yeah, I'll just get a flat white thanks or, or a cappuccino. Like that's their mm -hmm. experience, but I just project onto that. And I think you're exactly right. Like it's a powerful thing to build that self-awareness and then I also want to hone in on, on, on your end point there of, of you're also learning. Like we're also just trying to figure all this stuff out. Like that's part of the human experience is trial and error, figuring stuff out. Um, and, and on that note, I'm wondering, you know, beyond, beyond sort of these like specific instances and your awareness of psychology right now with where you're at in your life, you know, obviously COVID-19 sort of ended your study abroad semester early schools now going online like with where you're at right now what are you curious about and what is exciting you right now hmm. Ooh, interesting question um yeah so i think what's been interesting to me um since leaving study abroad um so i left end of february I had like a month and a half, two months, should have been four. Um, and so what's been really interesting is I left study abroad during like my first like kind of like alone breakout like moment. Um, and so that was also a very weird time to have both things happening at once. Whereas like the, I had just realized that it was like one of the first times in my life where I didn't have a support system with me. And the people that I was creating into my support system, we hadn't yet learned how we operated in a group and how we operated uh, with each other one-on-one. -on -one. And so I didn't feel at that time that like I had the same support systems that I had when I was at home where like my parents were and my friends were. Um, so I was going through that and then like the world started to end. Um, so uh, mentally that period of time was very negative um but coming back from it um I'm still so connected to the people I went abroad with even though I barely know them and I should have had a lot more time with them um and then talking to my friends who went abroad at different times or had different global experiences I communicate with my abroad people way more than they have with people that they knew for much longer periods of time um, and just like going through such a, like, I don't want to say traumatic because like going abroad is a privilege, but um, like such a like formative experience um, kind of like tied us all together. Um, and then going through what the world is going through right now and having so much self-isolation or what should be self-isolation here in the United States. Um, um, I think everyone feels so isolated and alone right now, but I don't think everyone realizes that everyone feels isolated and alone right now. Um, and so like, if you just like text someone and say, hi, how are you doing? Like that's going to be way more impactful than it would have been a year ago if you texted someone and asking them how they're doing. 
Um, and sometimes it feels like, oh, like they didn't respond right away. Like they hate me or like, oh, I'm probably just like bothering them. They have other things going on. Like we're all really grateful for communication in any kind right now. Um, so that's been something that's really interesting to me to see how will our like love languages change and how will we show people that we care about them change um, however long like physical connection um, or like uh, physical presence um, will no longer be available. Um, so that's been something that's interesting to me both as like a psychologist and as a performer, um, like the theatrical connection of being with an audience member, being with a cast member. Um, I haven't done that since November. So um, like, how does my relationship to that change as well? Um, but just looking at how we create connections, maintain connections, if you can't see them for months on end, um, how does all of that stick together? Basically something that has been catching my eye as of late. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it's such an interesting, like, situation, you're right, in, in the sense of, of recognizing so many of the things we took for granted can be taken away like that. Like, in a moment, our entire lives had to shift. Like, we had to, I, I know, I think we were both um, at the Claremont Colleges at the point, you had already come back from abroad and you were at the Claremont mm -hmm. Colleges again. And then an email went out and it was basically like, you have seven days to leave. And it's mm -hmm. like, and it's just like that. And, and, and that, that email came about like coronavirus had only been flagged about three days earlier as being something that might be an issue. And, mm -hmm. and, and so then like looking back on it, I'm like far out. I, I didn't recognize how lucky I was to be, living on a college campus, to be going to a college on the other side of the world from where I was from, and to be surrounded by young, inspiring, motivated, passionate young people all the time, you know? And I look back and now I'm like, mm -hmm. oh, why was I like, like working so much? I should have just been conversing and like connecting with these people who I loved and cared about and letting them know while I had that time in person to be like, hey, I'm like actually so grateful like for this moment, for this experience that we're having together. And, and I guess off that, like, I'm wondering, do you, what is your relationship with gratitude? Is gratitude something that you like actively incorporate into your life or, or, or has your relationship with gratitude changed since the, the beginning of, of what is the COVID-19 pandemic? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So I think like bypassing gratitude is definitely something easy to do, depending on how busy you are. Um, and it's very easy to just focus on what's wrong or what needs to change. Um, and so actually, like my mom and I have made a point of whenever one of us is like stuck in something that's been frustrating us uh, over the past few months, we just sit down and talk about the things that we do have um, and how like if this one thing went away, like the problems you have would not matter because you'd have 10 other problems. So like, let's focus that we have this thing. Like we're both healthy, we both love each other. We both have a stable place to live. We both have Wi-Fi, so we can still continue our jobs. Um, and so just checking in with the things that we are grateful for and the things that we know that we have taken for granted that we should stop taking for granted. Um, and then obviously for us, like that's largely tied into religion as well. Um, and so that's been very reaffirming um, over the past few months. Um, but I feel like, I feel like I've always been like gracious or like grateful for the things that I have. But I think since um, everything that's happening right now started, I think it's been a more concrete like action that I do um, and checking in. And then like, I've always had like sleeping problems. And so whenever I'm like trying to go to bed, but I can't go to bed, I usually just shift to talk about the things that I'm grateful for. And then that usually kind of like lulls me to sleep um, and I have like no idea what I was last thinking of. And then like, I wake up in the morning. Um, so that's always been like a practice that I've tried to keep up, but like, obviously that hinges on having a sleeping problem. Um, <laughs> but, uh, just trying to keep gratitude in some facet, like as long as you're doing it at least some of the time, um, just like keeping yourself in check. Yeah, I, I think. I mean, that's like really beautiful. I love, I actually, whenever I struggle to sleep now, I'm going to try doing that because I think, <laughs> you know, like that's a really beautiful thing. I think what, like what I've found at least like gratitude does, and it's something that I've tried to put into my everyday life, 
like every morning I try and like take a moment and like think about all the things I'm grateful for. And then one thing I'm trying to incorporate now is actually writing down when I'm like journaling, like Mm -hmm. what am I grateful for in my life right now? But I think what it does is it like almost like re like reminds you of how lucky you are to just like, like be here right now and to have had the experiences you've had. And also at times has like recentered me on what's important in my life. Because I think, you know, I've spoken about this on some other pod- or some of the other podcasts that I've recorded. I have had a very toxic relationship with work in, in a lot mm-hmm. of senses. Like I've been addicted in a lot of ways. And, and I use addicted like very deliberately. Like, whereas like I, I could not relax. Like through my four years of college, I was just, I was always trying to find time to work, things to work on, keeping myself busy in order to avoid like, like downtime because relaxing to me felt unproductive and and sort of that it was taking away from from my aspirations and pursuits in life but when I think back to like all when I now like ground myself in gratitude I go oh all of the moments of gratitude that are coming up are moments with friends and family and times where I was socializing where I was like going out and like having a few beers with friends and listening to music and going to gigs and going for hikes like it's time with people that a lot of the times is the things that we cherish and we value and, Mm -hmm. and, you know, connecting it back to where we are right now. It's like, Oh, we actually can't necessarily go out and do a lot of the, the socializing that we normally did. I mean, in the case of you and I, we're good friends, but like we're we're on opposite sides of the world right now, (laughs) but I'm like so incredibly grateful that we have technology where you and I, despite being in different time zones, different sides of the world can connect and have a conversation and then even just be able to share that conversation with other people. Like those very simple things that even now we can take for granted, you know, 50 years ago, this wouldn't have been possible. You know, mm-hmm. we, we just maybe have just gone on with the rest of our lives and never been able to stay in contact. And, yeah. and so I think just remembering like, how lucky you are in, in a lot of those senses is, is a beautiful way to start or end your day as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, most definitely. So shifting, shifting a little bit now, um, as you sort of look forward in your life, I'm wondering, this is sort of a new thing that I'm trying to bring into the podcast is when you look at the world where we're at right now, and as you sort of look at, you know, you're in your early twenties, starting to build your career, starting to aspire to, to have an impact on the world. What, what do you think one thing that we could change in our everyday lives that would make the world a better place? Like from a, from a personal level or, or from a community level, like what do you think we need more of right now moving into the future? Mm-hmm. Um, I definitely say empathy is like a huge thing that I think we all think we understand and we think that we're all doing it. And then like you provide an example of like a thing or like a kind of person that you don't like. And you're like, oh no, never mind. I don't possess empathy for that thing. Um, and I think a lot of the world's problems right now, I think a lot of people are like, oh, well, if this individual just like worked harder, like did X, Y, and Z, uh, their situation would be different. And like, they wouldn't have this problem. Um, And I think we look at problems like that instead of like, okay, well, I don't have that problem. What can I do to help people not have that problem as well? Because I know how much easier my life is or how much better and enriching my life is without like this concern. um, Why don't I try to apply that to other people's lives? Um, And so I think, especially like for the United States and under in other like individual individualistic countries, I think like that is something that we all pride ourselves on of like, oh, I did this for me and I did this for like my small community. Um, And that's like where I stem from with my self-worth or like my accomplishments. And we don't necessarily see like, oh, like I helped other people do X, Y, and Z and I gained no benefit from it other than knowing that I helped them. Um, And so I think we kind of start to see that as like a waste of time because usually you don't get paid for those things. And that's kind of how we see our own success um, in a lot of ways. And so I think a lot of what we need to do as a group of humans is dismantle that idea that you can only benefit yourself um, and that like your direct actions can't just impact other people and not serve something for yourself um, in the process. 
Um, so yeah, I think that is like the biggest thing that I've noticed with everything going on. Yeah, and I mean, that's such an important point to like even bringing it back to like the education system. And I talk about the education system all the time because it's one of the things that really frustrates me. And I've been <laughs> lucky, you know, I acknowledge that I'm also incredibly lucky that the education system works for me. I do quite well in a classroom being able to write essays and, and you know, all of that kind of stuff. I've been incredibly lucky and I acknowledge that. But the fact is, is it doesn't actually teach us to be good people. And, 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 and I think it puts an unrealistic expectation and definition on success. Like so much of, of grad, going to graduate college, you know, and me having just graduated, like there's no, at no point along that journey, was there ever a conversation of like, what, like what impact do you want to have on the world? Like, how do you want to make the world a better place? It's like, okay, you need to get this degree to then get this job or this internship, which then leads to employment and then income, you've got security and you, and you build your way up. But the framework is never actually around, okay, like what skill sets and gifts do I have and how can I contribute to make the world a better place? How can I help other people? And in helping other people, like inevitably, at least from what I believe, is that like that's going to come back 10, 100 fold back into your life. Because like through giving, not only do you feel better about yourself, you know, and, and there's a bunch of studies around people who give more, like uh, much happier, that they enjoy their life more, they have better relationships. But through giving, you, you know that you're having a positive impact on the world and you're not just pursuing something that is exactly as you said, like self-centered. It's not about, about um, a, a self-centered or, or very refined definition of success. That success, I think, needs to be reframed to being about who are you helping? How much are you giving to the world? What kind of positive impact are you having and do you want to have? Because, you know, the next step of it too, speaking about empathy, speaking about connection and, and relationships and all the people you impact in your lives, through giving, you bring new people into your life. You connect with people who are different than you. You start to learn about the world and different perspectives on the world. And I think that is true success because it's growth. It's your growing and your giving back to a community. And, and to have the empathy also to have the conversation, conversations that have to happen there, to connect with people and, and have empathy for their situation um, and to be able to give where possible and know that also other people are going to give to you when you need it and, and create a culture that is about helping each other, that is about, you know, lifting people up together. And it, it's interesting too, because when I think back, like, like that's something I'm really passionate about and, and something I really want to, like for me, I'm like, I want to change that perspective. Like we, we need to be talking about at school. We need to have classes that are dedicated to going, what is the impact you want to have? Like, like let's talk about it and let's imagine what we can do. You know, there are issues in this world that we also as a generation are going to need to deal with. Climate change, you know, is going to affect us and our children and our grandchildren. And if action isn't done now, like, we have to figure something out. So let's have conversations about it. Let's talk about the possibility of, of how can we make changes in our own lives and then influence other people. Like that's really, really important. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And I think like as a society, we don't value the jobs and careers and paths that already suit that. Um, and we're looking to see like, well, how can you make yourself better? Or, like your status or image look better? Um, and it's not necessarily like, oh, wow, this person is doing this for this person or like this group of people. Um, but like they had to give up like their salary to do that um, or they had to give up all their time to do that. And it's like one person running a whole organization like on their own. Um, and so we don't really create the systems so that there can be like mass empathy um, and mass like career empathy where we can fundamentally change the things that are wrong. Um, but it's all seen on like an individual, uh, like an individual's onus to do that or like their chosen path um, that isn't shared by many people alongside them. Yeah, you're, you're so right. And, and in that note, I'm, I'm wondering what, what is your relationship with competitiveness? Is, is competitiveness something that exists in your life? Uh, like, are you aware of it? Do you think it manifests in ways maybe that you're not aware of? 
Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Um, so I went to like a very, very, very competitive high school that was like branded as a competitive high school. Um, and so before that, I loved competition in any way and still on small scales. I, I love it. I love beating people in like games yeah. in small things where the stakes are very low. Like the lower the stakes, the more competitive I am. Um, but then I got to that high school and it was an environment where like you had like everyone knew what colleges everyone was applying to. Um, and we all knew like, oh, what, like decision day for like the Ivy Leagues are coming out. This person's crying. So ha ha ha. Obviously they didn't get into this school. Um, and it was just so toxic and bad and uncomfortable. Um, and that's like where like my anxiety disorder like blossomed. Um, like when I like became very, very competitive, both with myself and with the people around me. Um, so a lot of my college experience has been, how do I get rid of that? Because that was not helping anybody. And I was so miserable during that period of my time of my life that I couldn't help myself because I was so focused on calming myself down from all the things happening around me that I didn't get to enjoy that very like, like important period of my life. Um, so being in my like adulthood, quote unquote now, um, and looking at who I want to be and who I surround myself with. Um, I don't like comparing myself to other people. It's not fun. Um, and so I've been able to like dismantle that a little bit. Um, and luckily like being in quarantine, I can't see the people around me, so I can't really compare myself to them. Um, so that's been a little helpful. Um, but I think there's ways of being competitive and ways to uh, push yourself without the like trying to tear other people down or comparing yourself to them in the process. Um, and looking at how can I fit in with my peers and fit in with the people around me, but know that I'm in a different lane on the same track. Um, and so making sure that I'm not like, oh, this person did this thing. Now I look worse compared to them because they're doing this thing and I'm not. Um, and just saying like, I'm much better than I was five years ago. Um, and the person I was five years ago would be pretty thrilled that I'm the person I am today. Um, and so making sure that I'm not competing with the person that I was, but just trying to let them know that like, hey, like we're doing the things you like and the things you care about. Um, it might be different than the way that you planned it to be, um, but it's still happening and you're still pursuing happiness. Um, so I think we need to, like, I need to get rid of and people need to get rid of the notion of like competitiveness means beating other people um, and that it just means pushing each other. Um, and you can be competitive with another person while still like being proud and excited of the things that they're doing and the things that you're doing. Um, and it doesn't necessarily have to be um, a place where there can only be one winner, um, which has been something that's been very hard to like dismantle within myself, but we're working on it. <laughs> I like, this is why I love having conversations like this. And I want to acknowledge you for, for your honesty in, in, in sharing that. But I, I agree with you like 100% is we need to completely redefine what competitive means and and, and that's not like eradicate competitiveness because you're right, there is value in competitiveness. Like I truly don't believe everyone should get a participation medal, you know, for everything that is done because that breeds the wrong thing. Like we have to work. Like hard work is good. It's important. It's fulfilling to work hard for something and overcome obstacles to reach endpoints and solutions and outcomes. And even if they're not exactly what we want or expected that they would be, like that process is important and allows us to grow right? But mm -hmm. that competitiveness with self and going, oh, I expect higher of myself. This wasn't quite good enough. But also, once again, empathy with self to go, okay, it didn't quite work. I'm going to reflect on that and I'm going to keep working and growing. And then competitiveness with friends and colleagues and stuff like that, coming from a place of love and empathy to be like, hey, like we're both pushing for the same thing. And like, I'm going to cheer for you 100% for your success. Like whatever that, whatever that is, like let's, we're gonna both push each other up. We're gonna stand on each other's shoulders so that we can start to see further. Knowing that there's a bit of, you know, like, you know, playful competitiveness, but also when whoever, you know, reaches points of success or milestones or achievements, 
that we come from that place of like love and know that that doesn't take away from our worth, you know? And, mm -hmm. and I think fundamentally, like that comes down to this idea that you are enough. And, and I've spoken about this before, but like, I think like, like those three words are just so critical in all of this. Like if you are competitive, but you know that no matter what, that you are enough exactly as you are, like you can't hate and judge and critique other people for their achievements because you know that that's not, that wasn't your achievement in the first place, right? Mm -hmm. It obviously wasn't meant to be that you are enough exactly where you are. And I think you're exactly right. If we breed a culture like that, it means that we're all working to better ourselves together. And that's powerful. Mm -hmm. Yeah, most definitely. And I've also like tried to make sure that I surround myself with people that are in such completely different like phases in their life or paths in their life that like it would be so difficult to compare myself to them. Like I have friends who are like getting ready to like take the LSAT so they can go to law school. And like, it could be easy, like, whoa, I'm not preparing to go to law school. And it's like, I don't want to go to law school. Yeah. Um, so it's very hard to compare someone on that path with what I'm doing. Cause like, if I threw them on a stage, they would embarrass themselves. So um, there's so many different skills that so many people have. And if you surround yourself with people who don't have the same skills as you, it's a lot easier to work towards not being competitive with them because it's like comparing like a monkey and a fish. Like they're not going to be doing the same things because that's not what they're built to do. You're exactly right. And, and, and on that point, like it's, I think what it is, is it's shifting the mindset to not be focused on necessarily outcomes, but on acquiring skill sets, on building your skill sets up because that's what's valuable especially with where like the economy is going, where the job market is going. Like it is about acquiring skill sets that you can utilize and that you can use to better serve humanity, to better serve people mm -hmm. around you, to contribute to the fields that interest you and that you're passionate about. And, and that your development of skill sets is not in um, conflict with other people doing the same thing, but together you can actually share your skill sets. You can learn from each other and that's powerful. And so, you know, I, I think that's a really like great point to start to wrap up. And I want to be sort of courteous of your time. The one sort of last question I have, and this is, this is a little bit of a curveball, sort of expanding a little bit further out from our conversations on empathy. But say, hypothetically, if I was to give you, say, a lump sum of money, something around like 100 million US dollars to invest in making an impact, a positive impact on the world, where do you think that kind of money should go and how do you think it should be used? Um, so like, I would most want it to go towards housing and food for everyone, um, which I think are two things that have been so exacerbated by the current situation that we're in. Um, and you see that people aren't aware how close they are to needing those two things or have instability with those two things. Um, so I think a lot of the anxiety and depression and stress that we all have with existing as human beings, a lot of that is tied to, do I have the basic needs of survival? Um, and so making sure that there is more widespread, um, availability for housing and food, um, people can release a lot of that tension and use their energy and their time, um, and their skill sets towards other things. Because uh, there's so many talented people uh, with so many things to give to the world, but they don't have the time or the ability to do it because they need to eat. Um, and so, like, you always see, like, the starving artist or the starving creative or the person who's doing a nonprofit who makes, like, $5 an hour, um, who have to sacrifice their basic needs to serve some sort of process um, or to receive something that they need to survive. Um, and if you don't have uh, that need, you have the ability to just do the things that you love and that you're passionate about. Um, and you can use that time and creativity to put it towards other people who are in need um, or into communities that need your services as well. Um, but we don't really have the luxury to do that on a larger scale. Um, so if I were to have that much money, first I'd pass out. Um, yeah. But when I woke up, um, I think um, serving communities who need that the most um, would be the first goal. And then who knows how much is left over. <laughs>
Yeah, no, that's that's beautiful. And I think I think that sort of like wraps everything up quite nicely in this idea that that our responsibility moving forward is to come from a place of empathy. It is to acquire skill sets that will enable us to better serve the people and the communities around us and to ultimately give back to people and communities who can use our, our skill sets and our services to make the world a better place. Like that's, I, I just like fundamentally believe like that is exactly, you know, from the psychology perspective, from the connection perspective, from the broader ec like economic perspective, like we need to come together and start to build a culture that is centered around this, around giving back, around leveraging each other's skill sets and learning and growing from each other and having the empathy to have the hard conversations and, and learn to understand each other. Like that is really, really powerful. So I really just want to like commend you for your self-awareness, for being an amazing friend and amazing colleague who inspires me and who I've learned a lot from. I, I, I am incredibly grateful to have you in my life and to also have you on this podcast and, and, and grateful for your vulnerability and openness in this conversation. So thank you so much for coming on. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, of course. Like I wasn't going to do this. <laughs> 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 um, and, and we'll have to, we'll have to schedule another one in, in, in a little while's time, once you're all set up and, and, you know, back into school and, and everything's sort of moving ahead. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, definitely. Awesome. Well, thank you everyone for listening. I hope you got some value from this conversation and, uh, we'll see you next week. First of all, congratulations. You just listened all the way through our podcast and we couldn't be more thrilled to have you as part of the Story Network community. If you enjoyed the conversation, it would mean the world to us if you could like, share, review, and subscribe to let us know that you're listening. We are on a mission to build the largest and most diverse community of storytellers, creators, and innovators from around the world. And we can't do that without your help. You can check us out on Instagram, at The Real Story Network and over on YouTube and Facebook at The Story Network. My name is Zed Hopkins. You're amazing. And we are The Story Network. Woo! The Story Network. See you next week.